we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. It is an insider look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on hot topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Charlemagne the God. We are The Breakfast Club. Angela Rye is with us as well. And we have a special guest in the building. The U.S. Secretary of Transportation. Pete Buttigieg. Welcome back. Thank you. Good How morning, you Secretary Pete. It's good to be back. We've got a lot yeah. of good news here. Before yeah. you came in, I was talking about uh, Secretary Pete about uh, his cars. And okay. he was saying that uh, I seen somewhere that uh, he likes the, the new Mustang, the electric Mustang, and that you... They said you were in it? or, or, or? Yeah, because I thought we should practice what we preach. We're encouraging uh, electric vehicles, and I thought I, we ought to do that too. So uh, our security detail, we had them get a, uh, a Mustang Mach-E, uh, which is how I usually get around when, when I'm in Washington. And it's great. My favorite part is when they took delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Part of what's standard, you know, they get the keys, they get the paperwork, and then they get a gas card for buying gas, mm-hmm. you know, to, to reimburse that. And they're never going to need that because it doesn't need any gas. So tax, taxpayers will never have to pay for a drop of gas going into that car. Question. Does the Secretary of Transportation have to pay for transportation? Do you get free cars and stuff like that? Sure. Uh, it depends. So uh, okay. if I'm on personal travel, then uh, um, then uh, yeah, obviously that's that's out of my pocket. If it's work travel uh, or if there's you know security needing to get around, then it's a little different. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, usually, you know, if so I'm you just get free around, cars? 
Uh, I do not give free cars. No, <laughs> like I've, I've oh. like we got a minivan that that you know if I'm dropping the kids off at daycare, that's just our our family car. Gotcha. You know, we got. I never thought I'd be a minivan guy, and then so we you had, got kids, and yeah, then you realize you need a minivan. And then you, we very much. It's actually great. Yeah, and it's it's a plug in. That one plugs in too, so you can. Uh, it's a hybrid, so you, you plug it in, you get maybe 30, 40 miles off of the electric. And then if you go any further than that, like if we're on a road trip, then it switches to gas. You can get a cooler car. You can get like an electric Escalade or something. They got the electric <laughs> SUVs. You don't have to drive a Mini. What's not out there? Escalade. You say that. Act like you're from Indiana all your life. Now. I'm. Li- I'm literally from Indiana, and I'm literally a dad. <laughs> we're Midwestern dads. I got right. two kids. I. Like, I never thought I'd be a minivan guy, but I, I gotta say it's kind of it's kind of the right answer for us right now. I meant to ask since we before we get jump into it when you, when you talk about the electric grid, right? When yeah. it comes to all these electric cars. They're uh, hopefully focusing, I guess, in the next five years, they want all cars to turn over to electric. Do, do we have a strong enough grid to hold all those electric cars and all the electric battery cars and everything that we need? And also, when people are driving from state to state, is it enough to make sure that these people won't run out of electric and be on the side of the roads? Right. So uh, the the honest answer is we cannot run tomorrow's cars on today's grid. But, but the other part of the answer is that's why we're upgrading the grid and the charges. So President's goal is by the end of this decade, uh, we want uh, half of new car sales to be electric. We think we can get there. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody overnight. Uh, prices still need to come down, but we think we can get to half by the end of the decade. We also have to have about half a million chargers around the country by the end of the decade. And we're, we're funding that. Part of what was in the president's infrastructure law is about $7.5 billion that we're using to really do two things. One is what you're talking about, where you go out on a road trip, you know there's going to be a gas station. Mm-hmm. We've got to make sure when you go on a road trip, you know there's going to be a charging station. Mm. But the other piece is we got to make sure there's community charging. So if you live in a f- single-family home or you got a garage, uh, then then it's easy. You can just plug in your wall. Our house in Michigan, we just plug it in a regular wall plug. Correct. But if you're in an apartment building, if you're in a dense area, uh, and especially if you're in a low- or middle-income area, then it might not yet be profitable for companies to put in chargers. So we've got to make sure that we accelerate that process, put a little incentive in to make the economics move in the right direction. So that everybody has has access, because then they have a chance at at the savings that come from not having to buy gas. So it's definitely a process. The grid has to be upgraded too. But remember, it's also complicated and expensive to move millions and millions and millions of gallons of liquid fuel around this country every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, in the long run, it's more efficient to move electrons through a, a so to speak through you know through transmission lines than it is to move liquids around. Uh, but th- you know this is not going to happen overnight. It's going to be years. We're we're underway. We're working on it. I have two more questions before we jump in. One, you can't with, ask two more. Back no, with the, back. No, with the electric. Yeah, I, know, I got stuff. No, you no, but say just too? the electric car stuff because yeah. this is something that that I'm, I'm into. They they say that those batteries are just as bad for the environment as gasoline and fuel is. Is that true? No, but there are issues with them, uh, and a lot of the issues have to do with how the the materials that go into them are extracted. So we've got to make sure that they are extracted under good uh, labor conditions and, and they're mined appropriately. We're trying to get more of that done in the U.S. Under the Trump administration, they didn't care a lot about electric vehicles, as you know. China got an edge, and China does not care about things like mining, environmental conditions, or, or child labor, any of those other issues. We do. And so we're working to make sure that we get more of these things sourced domestically. But but it's a different set of problems. So th- those are issues. We take them seriously. But the problem with, with burning regular gas is it's it's causing the climate to change. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem that, that, that we're worried about on when it comes to batteries. Climate change is getting faster. It's getting worse. It's real. People can pretend otherwise. And I know there's a lot of oil and gas profits to be protected by pretending otherwise, but it's just, it's just true. We can see it all around us. 
And the biggest part of the U.S. economy, of all these sectors of the economy, the one that puts the most carbon pollution into the air is transportation. So to me, as transportation sector, that means our goal has to be to try to be the biggest part of the solution. And part of that is is cars, and and big part of that is is going electric. Last question I had was, uh, Elon Musk was very mad at you guys, right? I, I, they said that he was giving you guys the middle finger, that he wanted some tax rebates, and you guys wouldn't give him the rebates. So he decided to take the money off of his cars himself, right? That's when the Teslas were at its lowest at, at one time. What, what's your, your thought process on that and Elon Musk? Look, I, what they have built at Tesla is extraordinary. I mean, that's part of why EVs are, are available. They, they push the market forward, biggest maker of EVs in the country. Uh, we, our job is to try to make sure that the industry as a whole does well. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that it, it does well in America with American workers. And obviously, we care about workers having a free and fair choice to join a union, uh, which some auto companies do and, and some auto companies do not. Past that, we're, we're not out to put a thumb on the scale. We just need to make sure these cars are safe. And, and we want any business on American soil with American workers making American cars to thrive. Mm-hmm. Mayor Pete, you know, one of the things, Mayor Pete, now Secretary Pete. I'll way. always answer to mayor. <laughs> um, and I love that. I think it really prepared you for where you are now. Um, I want to just commend you on the fact that you've been one of the most consistent administration voices that have been on this show. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that um, it's really interesting that other than that, the most times I hear about you is when something went wrong mm-hmm. in transportation and nine times out of 10, your responsibility is to hold the folks accountable. You mm-hmm. didn't do it. For example, um, the railroad derailments um, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to talk to the audience yeah. about how you responded yeah. um, to the rail or the railroad administration responded to those derailments. The fact that they happen regularly every right. day, but those in particular. Yeah, were so the, the one that got the most attention was in February of this year yeah. in Ohio. There was a Norfolk Southern train who was carrying hazardous materials. It derailed and it sent up, it, in order to prevent an explosion, they, uh, they actually burned off some of the material that was in there. Uh, thankfully, there were no fatalities there, but it was terrifying for yeah. the town mm-hmm. there called East Palestine. And there was a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and a lot of misinformation. Uh, that that really terrorized the community. And when that happened, uh, over time, I realized that we had to change the way we approach these. N- normally, a secretary of transportation doesn't go to an active hazmat site or an active crash site, not because people in this job don't care about the issue, but because we have a national transportation board. It's, it's, it's a safety board. It's designed to be independent. Uh, they do the investigation. We do the policy. But what I found was people wanted and needed to see a visible administration figure there. And and honestly, I was a little slow to see the importance of that given the misinformation that was going on. So I knew that I had to get out there and do something that was a little bit of a break from the norm, but was very important so that the people who live in that, that community knew that they, they wouldn't have to wait a year for the NTSB report to come out to know that, that we cared about them and we were supporting. Now, to be clear, our department was on the ground from the first hours of that incident. It's it's not like we weren't present or, or, or like we forgot, but the information layer and the things that they were being told as they had very legitimate questions like, is is my house safe? Is the water safe? Which it was, but uh, they needed testing to prove that. Um, is, is is the air safe? Uh, the, the community was, was so uh, terrorized by that that we had to take additional steps to get good information there. But here's the other thing that's really important. Uh, when I went out there, I wasn't just there to, to, to show my face. I was there to talk about safety reforms that we need. 
that incident woke up a lot of Americans to something people didn't know, which is that all along, we have had every single day on average derailments. We have about 1,000 derailments a year in this country, and that's nothing new. In fact, it used to be more. They came down from many thousands a year because of regulations. People don't always want to hear about regulations. Regulations aren't always popular, but they make us safer. And so right now, there's a bill sitting in Congress called the Railway Safety Act, a bipartisan bill that would give my department more power to hold these railroad companies accountable. It would allow us to increase the fines to something that would really get their attention. Because right now, a multi-billion dollar corporation might not really care that much about the fines at the level that we're allowed to, to assess if we catch them in a violation. Uh, other measures around the, the physical safety of the tank cars that these chemicals move in. And it's just sitting there. And some of the same members of Congress who couldn't wait to get on TV to try to make a partisan issue out of this still haven't gone on the record on whether they're for or against it. By February, it's going to be a year mm -hmm. since that crash happened. And again, there are other derailments, thankfully, usually not as serious, but there are other derailments happening every day. Mm. Uh, we need those enforcement tools. We need that stepped up action. And we're doing everything we can under the law as it, as it exists. But we need Congress to, to do more, too. Is there a limit with the cars that the actual trains can carry? Because anybody that Great lives question. in 757 Virginia knows that those trains are going for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So, so is there a limit that maybe we break it up so you wouldn't have that yeah. many disruptions? There's not, but we're looking at the safety issues of that. Because now you got trains that are a mile long, mm -hmm. two miles long, three miles long. It, it is amazing. And this is another thing we're working on. Right now, there's actually no legal requirement on how many people need to be staffing that train. Mm -hmm. the, the railroad industry lobby has been pushing to have it be down to one. Imagine one person on a train that's three miles long. You can't even see the, the, the back of it. No, I mean, it would, take, it would take you an hour to walk to the back of it. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're putting through a rule that would establish a minimum staffing standard. But we're also looking at some of the safety implications of trains being that long. Then you have the community implications. When I'm in, especially in smaller communities, and, and they have these railroad crossings, and you get stuck behind it. 20 minutes, 30 just, minutes. Yeah. Easy. And, and that's not just crazy. for your commute, but sometimes that's an ambulance. You know, sometimes that's, that's a safety issue because somebody really yeah. needs to get there. But, but we're also changing that. So we have another part that I love of the president's infrastructure plan uh, is we have dollars for railroad crossing elimination. Now, we can't get all of them. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of these. But we can go to some of the places. We were in North Dakota, Grand Forks, North Dakota. They've been trying to get rid of this railroad crossing since, I think, 1991. Uh, everybody in town when we went there knew about the spot we were talking about. I think it's 41st Street that just cuts off one part of town where the university is from another part of town. Um, and we're finally, we brought the funding that, that's going to allow them to eliminate that crossing. We're in uh, um, Orangeburg, South Carolina. Uh, you know a lot about Orangeburg. Absolutely. Uh, we're with uh, Congressman Clyburn there mm -hmm. celebrating work that's going to help there where, where you have uh, highways and, and, and railways that, that, that uh, cut people off. So... In addition to holding the railroads accountable, we're also looking at the physical infrastructure here. Now, I would be remiss if I did not mention that as we speak, House Republicans are pushing cuts to a program called CRISI, the Consolidated Rail Infrastructure Safety Improvement Program, uh, which is one of the main sources of federal dollars we use to improve the safety of our railroads. Uh, I would argue that now is the time to double down on that, not to cut it. And, and you're going to hear me making a lot of noise about this as they're deciding how to vote. Mm. You know, the other thing you brought up, East um, Palestine, which is not exactly the same as um, what's happening in the Middle East and Palestine-Israel mm. conflict. There are a lot of folks in the community who 
feel very strongly about the amount of foreign aid dollars that are going overseas um, yep. to support that aren't feeling that same type of aid and relief in our own communities. Mm-hmm. Department of Transportation is responsible for some of the relief that can be provided to yep. the community. So can you talk a little bit about what you all are doing in that regard? Yeah, we're focused on what we can do with the federal dollars that, that have been entrusted to us to make everyday life better. It's part of why I'm here in New York. Yeah, so, what, yeah, what uh, for. Uh, yeah so we've got the, the Hudson Tunnel. Mm-hmm. Th- this is a ton. Hundreds of thousands of people count on this uh, to, to get their commutes from, from, from here to New Jersey and beyond. It's 100 years old. And if there was a problem that took that tunnel out of service. It's 100 years old? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus more than a hundred years old. I think it was it was finished when Teddy Roosevelt was president. Very when that cuts connect New Jersey to Penn Station. Yeah, you've probably been through it very Jesus very often, Christ. and you're going through century old infrastructure. We got one in Baltimore uh, mm-hmm. that that we're redoing. It will be known as the Frederick Douglass Tunnel. Right now, it's known as the Baltimore and Potomac Tunnel. What tunnel? Um, you talking about? You said the Hudson the Hudson, Hudson. Hudson. Yeah, yeah. East River Tunnel needs some work too, mm-hmm. um, and and we're working on that. So, uh, and this is a major. I mean, the Hudson tunnel piece alone, that's going to be one of the biggest public works projects in, in modern American history. Mm-hmm. $292 million. Uh, right? uh, that's just the start. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got billions more identified in our transit programs, and then we're going uh, to have more announcements to make about that. It's going to be billions. But yeah, this, this $292 million piece, that's going to uh, do the concrete casing around Hudson Yards. That, that's a, a, a big piece of it. Um, because we, we really need it. People count on it every day, whether they mm-hmm. think about it or not. In fact, our goal is that people don't have to think about it. Yeah. If you're not thinking about infrastructure, if you're not thinking about whether there's a hole in the road that's going to screw up your car or whether your train's going to be late because there's a problem in the tunnel, then you can think about whatever else you're dealing with in life. You can think about your job. You can think about your kids. You can think about your faith. Yeah, you especially when you the, all that traffic that it's going to cause. Because of the construction. While we're doing it? That's not what I had in mind. But, but, but yeah. the other thing is, if you put back on your Mayor P hat, there mm-hmm. is, it's not just folks getting to work. There are folks who are going to work on these yes, projects. Yes, absolutely. And that's the, because look, some of these projects are going to take a while before they're done. Mm-hmm. But even during that period you're talking about where mm-hmm. things are, are, are you know, <laughs> delayed or, or backed mm-hmm. up, the jobs that that's creating. And we're, we're working to make sure that, that there's fair access to those jobs. We've heard so many stories from, from communities and, and people who look, you know, the project finally comes to their neighborhood and they say, great, but nobody working on this project looks like they're from this neighborhood. My dad is the main one with the bullhorn. <laughs> this, yes. This bothers him. <laughs> right? Yes, there. indeed. So we've got local hire uh, preferences uh, that, that, that we're now able to do under the law. We, we've been working with uh, project labor agreements and community benefit agreements. I was in L.A. Uh, they have a program called Hire LAX specifically for people who are from the same zip code is LAX to get into these building trade jobs. And some of them, you know, some of them had, had been homeless in the past. Some of them had had involvement in the justice system. Uh, and we're now making good money, educating their kids, buying a home. I mean, these are transformational opportunities when you get some of these construction jobs. So we're really excited about that. How um, long will it take? Oh. So some of the projects we can mm-hmm. do in one construction season. Some so of them are... Uh, that's going to be years. That's, that's going to be four years, years more minimum. Yeah. Four years the, of traffic. The, the casing stuck on traffic. What? <laughs> so the concrete casing, we think they can do in about three years. Okay. Other parts of it are going to go well into the 2030s. It's mm-hmm. just that big of mm-hmm. uh, of a vision when you talk about the overall connection of what's called the gateway linking all, all the way there. Mm-hmm. But that's that's part of what we know you have to do. You have to have a, a portfolio of projects from ones that are going to be done by by this year to ones that that you know some other transportation secretary is going to get to cut the ribbon on one day. Uh, but that also means a pipeline of work you can expect. And, you know, some of these are a long time coming. The other big one that we're excited about that we're announcing is Second Avenue Subway, uh, extending that out to 125th Street. 
neighbor that neighborhood has been asking for decades to to get that that kind of subway access, uh, and we're, we're finally able to get it done with this, this kind of funding. And it's I know this is going to change lives. The, yes, the jobs working on it, but also just the jobs that people are going to be able to have because they can take advantage of the transit. Now, Secretary P, you there, there was a rumor that that's been going on probably since I've been alive that in any state that you're in. If the roads are bad and you hit a pothole, mm. you can send the bill to your your local or, or state official and they will replenish your money. Is that true? Uh, I would not bank on that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people say that every time because if they say if you get a flat tire, because yeah. if we pay for the roads and there is yeah. a pothole and I damage my tire, that there was a way to get your money back. But that's not true. Uh, not in any place that I've ever worked. Look, uh, as mayor, my sworn enemy was was potholes, right? Mayors hate potholes. Yes. Uh, because you, you, you see them and, and you get calls about them and, you, and you're trying to fix them. And now they destroy your car. So one other thing I got it. Yes, they call it the pothole tax, mm-hmm. right? So so sometimes people are paying so much in terms of the cost that you then have to take on because the road's not in good shape. Uh, they, you would have been better off, uh, obviously we'd all be better off if, if the roads were better, which is why we're fixing the roads. I mean, the single biggest piece of all the, all the funding we have across this trillion dollars, uh, I think that the biggest uh, individual set of investments ties back to the roads and, and the bridges that go with it. But also, we're trying to make the roads last longer. Uh, we just cut the ribbon at a, at a facility. We actually have a research facility inside of the DOT. Uh, we're belonging to the DOT. It's, it's in Virginia. We have a few research facilities. But this one, one of the things I saw there was a test bed where they've laid 11 different types of, of, of pavement and concrete. Uh, if, if you look at it from in a cross-section, it's like a layer cake. And we have 300 sensors through it, and we're going to be able to monitor and measure how it responds to different weather conditions. They, they have machinery that can test a, a, an I-beam or a piece of concrete until it fails by putting 100,000 pounds of pressure on it or simulating a million uh, trucks over the course of years and years in an accelerated way. So we're trying to be smarter with the technology so that this stuff lasts longer. Mm-hmm. The big problem is in the spring. What happens is, the, especially if you're anywhere north of, uh, well, certainly anywhere like New York or where I come from, um, the 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 freeze thaw cycle means you get you get some water it gets into those cracks then it freezes it expands it starts to crack the the uh, the surface then it melts then you get more water getting in there and, and and it gets worse and worse we think we can be much much smarter with our materials and with our technology I know this isn't considered the sexiest thing mm-hmm. but I love the potential of just making our pavement more durable because it means less potholes. And it means our taxpayer money goes further so we can do more good projects. Question about the Hudson Tunnel again. W- with yeah. those changes, will that increase the price of traveling? Will Metro cards go up again? No, uh, at least not um, not as a result of what we're funding. I don't know what the plans are for, for MTA or mm-hmm. how they're thinking about their, their fares. Uh, I know con- congestion pricing, which is a, a state project, that's part of how they're planning to fund some of their work. But no, part of what we're trying to do uh, is provide more of the federal funding because mm-hmm. there you couldn't raise fares high enough to cover the cost of these. I mean, you just mm-hmm. can't do a, a, a you know, 15 to $20 billion project on the strength of, uh, of fares. There's not, a, there's not enough money to go around. People would stop you. Couldn't, couldn't keep using it. That's why there has to be a federal role. And by the way, I think it's fair game for there to be a federal role because even if you don't use that tunnel every day, we're all living in an economy where if that tunnel was out of service, that would impact the economy you know, all the way back to our house in Michigan. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I think is important, we, of course, saw the Supreme Court decimate affirmative action Mm -hmm. um, for higher education earlier this year during the summer. 
um, I know the 8A program at SBA yeah. um, took some hits as well. Yeah. This the, this attorney that's on these cases is relentless about it. Yeah. Are you at all concerned about the impacts on the disadvantaged business enterprise program at DOT and how that might impact even some of the companies who are working on projects around the infrastructure? Uh, well, that's I am. They're, they're coming after our DBE program, too. Now, we believe that program is not just good policy, but it's right. legally sound. We're going to fight for it. Uh, we know that it's made a difference in terms of people getting access to these jobs and opportunities that, that come with it. Uh, just just uh, yesterday, I was speaking to the uh, National Association of Minority Contractors. They are gearing up, getting ready. Uh, and by the way, what they want is a fair shot to compete. But these are businesses that have been, you know, over the years, you look in the past, systematically excluded. The whole basis of the DBE program, the, the reason why it has legal footing, is that there's been uh, a, a lot of, of proof of the disparities that have opened up. And when these businesses do get a fair shot to compete, they can do amazing work, and then they create jobs as they go. So whether we're talking about AA, 8A, which is a small business administration program, or our own programs that go under the flagship of DBE, uh, we're going to keep pushing because we believe in them. We're, we're doing uh, matchmaking. You think it's like speed dating between investors and, uh, and businesses that, that want to grow in this way. We're doing uh, matchmaking between uh, people who are building transit and, and transportation projects and the businesses that hope to bid on it. And it's not just... It's not just, uh, you know, if you're in heavy construction, it could be you could have an accounting or legal services or professional services business that could uh, benefit from some of the opportunities. We even upped our own uh, uh, goal for the, the federal contracts from our department, the DOT. We, we upped it to 21 percent uh, from a category called SDBs, the small disadvantaged businesses. And we beat that goal. And we're looking at what we can do to, to turn the dial even higher. So we really believe in this work. I know it's coming under attack. Uh, I just don't think those attacks are, are, are legally sound, so we're going to push. I want to ask you about uh, some, some political stuff going on. Um, yeah. How do you feel working with the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, when he hates gays? You know, um, it's my job to try to work with anybody, mm -hmm. so I will it's try to be work tough, with man. him. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, we were joking earlier about my minivan. Like, it's a strange feeling to be driving – our kids, our, our twin two-year-olds to daycare, driving past the Capitol, looking at the dome of the Capitol, knowing that under it sits a speaker who thinks that my marriage ought to be against the law. Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. I mean, not, not just not being in favor of marriage, which most people in the country get now, um, but just wanting it to an be anti-gay conversion therapy. The conversion therapy, <laughs> these laws. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but, uh, but maybe he, I don't know, um, maybe, maybe we can get through to this guy. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever met him. So would you, you want to? You probably haven't. Like, where did he even come from? <laughs> like 52 rounds they, later. They, they went through a lot of different steps to get <laughs> so to this bad. speaker. But, but again, you know, my job is to try to work with anybody. Look, I, I was a gay mayor in Indiana when Mike Pence was the governor mm -hmm. and, and I fought him on, on, uh, uh, those issues. But I also worked with them on other issues because working together on the economy was was the right thing to do for the city. So it's uh, he's got to compartmentalize. He, I think he takes it a step further than Mike Pence. Though. I mean, he the, the criminalization of gay sex is yeah. what he talks about. He says, yeah. you know, homosexuality led to the fall of the Roman Empire. Right. Like that's a, that's a bit different. I think that's a step yeah. further than Mike Pence. Yeah, he seems exceptionally committed to that ideology, and. I don't know how you reach somebody like that. You know, I, I saw uh, somebody asking about his worldview, and he said, uh, you know, pick up a Bible and read it, and that's my worldview. 
when I pick up, first of all, this country was established by people who didn't want to live under other people's interpretation of their own religion. Mm -hmm. But also, as a Christian, I pick up a Bible, and I get to a place like Proverbs 29, the, the, the righteous man knows the cause of the poor, and the wicked regardeth it not. And then I'm thinking about the Speaker of the House, who went out of his way to be against the child tax credit, which when President Biden's American Rescue Plan expanded the child tax credit, cut child poverty in half. Mm. And when they let it expire, child poverty doubled. So we know that, that it was a cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And I just, Reverend Barber, uh, William Barber, somebody I have a lot of respect for. Okay. He sometimes talks about how <coughs> you, you see some of these figures out there who have, as he puts it, uh, they, they, they talk, they say so much about what God says so little and so little about what God says so much. Mm. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we can get through to these folks. You know, it's interesting though, right? Because you're, you're a politician, but then you're still a human. Yep. at the end of the day. So that's a, what you gave is a very politically correct answer. But when you and your husband are sitting around, like, the conversation yep. got to be a lot different. I mean, the uh, guy said that, that same-sex relations are the dark harbinger of chaos and sexual anarchy that could doom even the strongest yep. republic. Like, I'm trying to figure out, are there, are there any, is there anything that disqualifies you from being a politician nowadays? Obviously nothing. I mean, I look at some of the folks running around that House <laughs> Republican conference mm -hmm. who were mm -hmm. above and beyond, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the thing I don't understand is like, my, that's our family he's talking about, you know? And I just got asked about this yesterday too. And I was thinking, you know, chaos is not a bad word to use to describe what it's like uh, around bedtime at our house when we're trying to get our kids uh, ready for bed and, and we're trying to feed them and, and there's spaghetti flying and, uh, you know, one of them won't take their shoes off and uh, and one of them needs a diaper change, but like, that's our family. Like, that's a chaos that is rooted in love. Um, it's not dark. It's it's beautiful. It's it's, and, and that is strengthening. I'm I'm certain that every family, uh, certainly I'm certain that our family, is part of what we have in mind when, when we talk about society needing to protect people going about their lives. And I mm -hmm. think about all the other families that that are terrified right now um, and that, that maybe you're not in as comfortable a situation as we are where, where you've got, you know, a governor threatening to take away your kids because you took them to the doctor to, 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 to see if you could support them because they're, they're questioning their identity. How terrifying that is. Mm -hmm. Do you lose faith a little bit when you think about all the things that you, you and your husband are thinking and do you lose faith just a little bit because this is our government? It's our government. It's the only one we got. So if, if there's a part of it that, that is disturbing or discouraging, you've got to respond to that with the part of it you believe in. I mean, I can't throw up my hands and complain about the government when I've been given such a prominent role in our government, right? I just have to figure out how to, how to use it to do the most good for the most people, which is my job. And yeah, there are things that are discouraging. Then again, there are things that are incredibly exciting some of the projects that we're doing that that people gave up on a long time ago or i mean we, we go to a lot of communities and, and they they still don't believe that the money's actually coming even when we're delivering it mm -hmm. because it's it's taken so long that they they started to give up we even got this done bipartisan i mean i, I don't think we had i don't think we had mike johnson on board but 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 we had some republicans who crossed over mm -hmm. and, and voted with us to get some of this infrastructure stuff done so have we solved every problem definitely not are some things going to get worse before they get better Maybe. 
But I believe in what we're doing, and I, I see good things happening around us. Looking forward to the 2024 election. Um, you're in this role at DOT, uh, Transportation Secretary. Have you thought about um, if you'd want to serve in any other capacity under another Biden-Harris administration? I know you're not yeah. supposed to necessarily answer this, but you are really smart, have a lot of skill sets that you developed in school as well as as a mayor. Um, there are so many other entities and agencies that could <clears throat> utilize the way that you think things through. Have you thought about any other role that you'd want to serve in? I'm, uh, I'm pretty absorbed just in the day job that I've got. Uh, I love public service and I serve at the pleasure of the president. Uh, I, I know that, you know, the job I'm doing now is not the kind of job you can do forever. Um, Hence my question. <laughs> but I also think it's it's got to be the best job in the federal government right now because we're 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 building things that that you know we're building the things that like my kids are going to be counting on fifty years from now. You know, fifty years from now, my kids will be going through the Hudson Tunnel. Um, that 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 we're going to be starting construction on today, and being able to be at the forefront of some of that work is 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 incredibly rewarding. So so yeah, I mean the only honest answer to your question is I don't know. You think Biden and Harris uh, is still a winning ticket? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be careful how I talk about it just because I'm I'm here as secretary. I'm not oh, supposed to talk campaigns, but uh, but what I will say is I believe in the president and the vice president. I believe in the work we're doing, um, and and I believe in the results that we're getting. I mean, the econ- I, I get that in so many ways it's been a rough few years for everybody, um, and I get that we're still kind of coming out of some darkness from from COVID to. Uh, what was going on uh, earlier with with inflation to just the political upheaval and everything that we're seeing in, in Congress and, and, and the former president. But look look at what's happened. Like take aviation, right? Right now we've had a lot of frustration with airlines not being able to keep up with the tickets they're selling. By the way, made a lot of progress this year. Cancellations down below normal. Still very expensive flying. Um, and yeah, and, and but that's because the demand has been has been going up. Right. It was only two and a half years ago that the big conversation about airlines was, are they going to go out of business? Mm-hmm. The big conversation was, how much taxpayer funding do we need to put together to make sure that the U.S. aviation sector doesn't collapse? Mm. And that was less than three years ago. Uh, it's, you know, it's November right now. Folks are starting to think about holiday shopping, Christmas presents. Um, two years ago, that was just two years ago, we were looking at, at, at news stories of ships waiting their turn off the West Coast, and the supply chains were so backed up, people were saying Christmas is going to be canceled. Yeah. And it wasn't. Like, we, we figured it out. We got through it. We actually had an all-time record high that year in terms of retail sales. But, like, those kinds of things are happening. $35 insulin for, for seniors. Um, and if, if, if we didn't get blocked by congressional Republicans, it would be $35 a month insulin for everybody. And I think we can still get that done. Um, so whether it's our transportation stuff or, or, or other sides of the House, like the administration has a lot to be proud of and, and also a lot of work to do. Can we go back to Mike Johnson for one second? Um, I know you've got to go, but were you ever discouraged by Christianity because of the Bible's views on homosexuality? Because a lot of those guys like Mike Johnson, yeah. you know, they, they say they have those views because of what yeah. the Bible says. So were you ever personally discouraged? Yeah, I think every Christian, definitely every gay Christian, has had to contend with the ways in which the church and and Scripture have, have been— Sometimes weaponized mm-hmm. or, or or turned against people, but I also think that that at least as I spend time with Scripture, um, there are parts of it that tell you about 
the wisdom of God. And there are parts of it that tell you about the values that prevailed at the time that it was written. We, we, we don't think it is outrageous to wear mixed cloth. Uh, we, we don't subscribe to a lot of things that you're going to see in Leviticus. Uh, even the most devout people don't, don't think that those codes or ideas tell us how we ought to live today. They tell us how it was viewed as what was viewed as the norm thousands of years ago in the Middle East. Um, but the parts that, that, that most speak to, to, to me have to do with, with protecting those who need to be protected. They have to do with, with infinite love. And I, yeah, I think every Christian wrestles with, with all of the different things and ideas and forces and, 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 and traditions that, that, that are part of that. But, um, and it's turned a lot of people off from religion, right? Our, at, at our wedding, our, our pastor um, talked about uh, how many people are, are, are walking away from religion entirely. Uh, and, and yet, I think that it can be a, such a force for good. Without ever believing that, I push you know, what I believe on anybody else. And, and while being adamant that no one in this country ought to have to live based on some other guy's interpretation of his own religion. Yeah, because you referenced what Mike Johnson said earlier about his worldview. So you, you want to know my worldview? Yeah. Pick up the Bible. And it's like, could it be possible the Bible is an outdated worldview? Or, you know, which chapter and verse are you looking up mm-hmm. when you pick but up you that Bible? You can't pick and choose, though, right? He seems to. Yeah. He's I fine see. with doubling child poverty, <laughs> but he, he's, he's got a problem with what goes on in other people's bedrooms. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're picking and choosing more than everybody. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard. It's crazy that you dislike gay people so much and your last name is Johnson. Shut up, man. <laughs> I'm just saying you Secretary don't have to Pete. Anyway. Use that one, Pete. Secretary Pete, use that one. Yeah, we'll file that away. That. Use that. <laughs> Secretary <laughs> Pete. filed it away. <laughs> Never to go back. We appreciate you for joining us. You know what you this. say? You say, yo, you know what, Mike Johnson? He needs to look at the tip of the files. You know what? I think I got to go cut a ribbon. You know Secretary <laughs> Pete, we appreciate you for joining us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Y'all know the he, tell, he does it to all of us. He does it to all of us. Thank you, so Secretary Pete. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Oh, my goodness. Angela Wright, thank you as well. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Wake that ass up. In the morning. The Breakfast Club. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission 
parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.